Uh, before we jump into this message, I thought it would be appropriate to have a, fr- a friendly reminder that you have five days to do your New Year's resolution. So if you haven't lost that t- those 10 pounds, 15 pounds, you still got four days to make it. If you haven't read your Bible every single day like you said you were going to, you can end the year strong by reading it for the next five days. If, you don't dr- if your resolution was to not drink soda... You can do it, right? You can end strong. So I felt like I should have that friendly reminder. Uh, But today, uh, I want to start this message by asking the question, what did your relationship with God look like on year 2021? You know, as we come to the end of this year and we're going to, like most good things, you know, most, if 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 you have a job, right? at the end of the year, you do a job review, you want to look back on your year and kind of think about the, the decisions that you made, the way that you performed, what you did right, what you did wrong, and hopefully learn from those things so that next year you don't have to make the same mistakes. So instead of being a broad question, I want you to do a specifically focus on your relationship with God. What did your relationship with God look on the year 2021? Was there a time this year that your relationship with God struggle, where you were facing some hardships, some difficulties, and you found yourself even maybe questioning God, does God really care about me? Does God really love me? Is God really for me? What about a sin struggle? You may be dealing with a sin in your life, and you have found yourself going back to that sin over and over, and you have seen how that one sin continues to destroy or affect your relationship with God. Have you seen that? If I'm going to be, I'm going to be transparent with you guys, uh, not too long ago, and I actually got to find myself in a position where I wrestled with my relationship with God. And here's what I mean by it. Uh, a few, uh, about a month ago, a little bit over a month ago, my wife and I were expecting our second daughter. And uh, we, had, we went to the hospital, we had the delivery, and everything went smooth as it could go. We were rejoicing, we were having a great time, we were celebrating the birth of our second daughter, Alessi Gill. Three days later, we came to find out that my wife and I have come in contact with COVID and that we tested positive to COVID. We had all the symptoms and then, you know, we were partially worried about our newborn daughter, but in our minds we were thinking there's no way that she can get infected. It's only for adults or 12 years and older. Well, a few days later, we started noticing a few of the symptoms in her, so we decided to go to the ER. When we went to the ER, they didn't tell us much, but they, all that we knew is that they were doing a bunch of different tests in her, tests that were so difficult even for us to watch that they even asked us to step out of the room. And, you know, we, to think that a week ago this baby was delivering in such a great way, that the Lord's blessing was in this baby, and now we're finding ourselves in this uh, conference room, just the two of us, wondering what they're doing to our daughter. We go back into the room to be told that this, the test was not successful and that we might have to do it again, to be taken out of the emergency room to this conference room for them to do the test again. And all of this emotional roller coaster continue for the next three days, where we were kept in the dark. I mean, we knew what kind of, what, what, what they were looking for, but they couldn't tell us yet what was happening with her, what was wrong with her, because they needed to wait for the result. And it was in, those mom- in that moment that I found myself praying and asking God, why are you allowing this to happen to Alessi? 
And I even had this argument in my head. I said to him, God, I have dedicated my life to you. I have devoted to do everything that you have told me to do. I try my best to honor you and to do what you call me to do. Why are you allowing this baby to go through, through this, this innocent baby? Have you ever felt yourself in a position like that where you have experienced some hardship, some struggles, where you have found yourself in a point in your life where you're asking yourself, God, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? Why have you allowed this to be in my life? I love you. I've devoted myself to you. I have cared for you. I try to honor you. I go to church. I give to the church. I pray. I read my Bible. And and even though I do all of those things, I'm still experiencing this. Why are you allowing this? And in those moments, even maybe questioning yourself whether God cares about you or not. That's what we're going to be covering today. The book of Romans, which is where we're going to be today, is a very special book. It's a very condensed theological book where there's a lot of truth and a lot of doctrines in it. But Paul is writing this letter to a, to a group of believers that had been spread out throughout, uh, that had been spread out throughout the world, and that they have come to Rome to find some shelter or some son of fellowship. And Paul is writing to them to encourage them because many of them, as we're going to see, were wrestling with that. They were wrestling with what their relationship with God looked like. They needed some reassurance. And so in the entirety of chapter 8, there, you can split it in two where for the first half is who we are in Christ or who they were in Christ or, in, or, or what their relationship with God looked like. And then the second part of the, of the chapter is what God meant for them or what God was going to do for them. And it's this later part of the chapter that we're going to be focusing today. We already heard uh, Nathan or Connor read it, but we'll read it again just for us to be in the context. So it's going to be Romans 8, verse 31, and it says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to come then? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution or famine, or nakedness or dangers or sore? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as cheap to be slaughtered. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So to Paul, writing this to this church, it was very needed. But as, I'm, as I look back on my experience a, few, a month ago or something, I feel like this is something that all of us could learn. I feel like even if you could say today that your relationship with God on year 2021 was excellent, I am sure that you can agree with me that at one point in your life you may have felt that way. 
And so with this passage, I, I feel like we, we can allow God to challenge us and encourage us at the same time to know what to do when those times comes again. Now, the way that we're going to split this verse is we're going to divide them. We're going to uh, uh, summarize them by asking these three questions. And the first question we'll see on the verse 31, uh, and it's the question of can opposition be so great that we can stack, it can separate us from God? Can opposition be so great that it can separate you or me from the love of God? Verse 31, it says, what then shall we say to these things? For if God is for us, who can be against us? But for us to better understand this question that he's asking here, we have to take notice of the very first thing he says. What then shall we say to these things? What are these things that he's referring to? And for that, we have to read the previous verses in chapter 8. Now, we're not going to read them all, but I figure that it will be beneficial for us to at least look at some of them. So the very first one that we see will be in verse 1 where he says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then we see in verse, in the next verse 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then in verse 28, I'm sure you probably know it, and what shall we say for those who love God? All things work together for good. So Paul is saying to them, what shall we say about these things that we just read? What should we say about these things? If this is not proof that God is for us, if this doesn't show us that God is for us, then what else would? Right? And then he says, now, these things, what they actually do, they do indeed prove that God is for us. But so if God is for us, then who can be against us? But he doesn't end there. Look what it says in verse 32. He says, he who did not spare his son's his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So when you find yourself facing opposition, and here's the thing, here's what's hard. We live in a broken world, a world that constantly calls was evil good and was good evil. We're constantly wrestling with what this broken society is doing for, against us as believers in Christ. And we've been called to live, to, be, to live a life as a salt and light, right? And we live in a world that is full of darkness. We are bound to face opposition at some point or another. And I'm sure some of you may have faced some already. You know, in the book of Nehemiah, I think about Nehemiah and how God told him to do a specific task. And while he was doing that task, people that didn't agree with what he was doing came as a void of opposition. And maybe you have felt that. You have felt how God has called you to live in a particular way, to stand on your ground in a particular issue, to believe something. And you have felt how people around you, the opposition around you is so strong that you may even question yourself, is God really for me? Because if he is, then why do I feel alone in this opposition? Why I don't feel his strength? Why I don't feel like he's caring for me? Or maybe you have felt that in your job. You have felt the opposition of those that put the regulations on top of you, that they tell you this is what we expect of you, but the things that they're asking of you are against your belief, against what the Bible says, and you find yourself in a place where you're even asking yourself, is God really for us? 
Now, you see here in the context of the book, you have the Romans who were facing opposition. Their opposition came in the form of government. They had been running around, scattered from their places because they were persecuting it for what they believe. And Paul is writing to them and he's telling to them, you don't need to worry whether or not God is for you because you have the best example of how much he is for you. And what that example is, that God did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all as a way for us to have a relationship with him. If you ever find yourself where you're dealing with opposition, where you're dealing with things around you that are not going the way that you were hoping that they were going to be going, and you come to a point where you're asking yourself, does God really care about me? Is God really for me? We have the reminder in the message of the gospel that in Christ, no one can oppose us. That because God sent his son to die on the cross, and the fact that he rose from the dead three days later is the best proof that we have that God cares about us, that he is for us. So what Paul is in essence trying to say to them is here is that no person, no government, no society, not even Satan himself is too great that he can oppose those who have placed their trust in Jesus. And then you have the next verse, verse 33. And we said, and he asked the next question, who shall bring any charge against, us, uh, against God's elect? And we asked this question, can sin be too great? Can sin in our life be so great that it can separate us from the love of God? Now, disclaimer, this is specific to believers. Because we know that because if we don't believe in the message of the gospel, we are condemned because of our sin. But if you are a believer, if you have placed your trust in Jesus as your Savior, can sin be too great in your life that it can get in the way of your relationship with God? That God, that, that, that you will be separated from the love of God. And so he asks the question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Now in the book of Revelation, we have Revelation chapter 12 verse 10. We're told that Satan is presently in the, is at the presence of God, and he is accusing us day and night. He's, at the, he's in the presence of God accusing you and me every day for the things that we do. What is sad about this verse, as I think about it, is that chances are that the things that Satan is accusing us of are most likely truth. You know, because of our sin nature, we if we're not careful, we can choose to do the very thing that we know that God does not want us to do. Because of our sinful nature, if we're not careful, we can allow, we can, uh, we can put ourselves in a position where we deliberately do what is wrong before God. And chances are then, say then, when he's standing in the presence of God, that the things that he's accusing us of are truth. Now, I think back of when I was, uh, when, uh, my, when I was turning 15, I was back in the Dominican Republic, and, uh, and back in my birthday lands on June 13. So it's early summer. So in my country, uh, that's the day like where uh, school is just kid. You're just getting out of school into summer break. Uh, we typically will get out on the 9th or on the 10th. That's typically was the day that the schools will get out. So it was my birthday, and I'm celebrating with all my friends which is five of them, uh, and we're having a great time. And I remember getting a phone call from the principal of my school. Now, just so you know, she wasn't calling for, to say happy birthday to me. They don't do that. But she was calling because she wanted to talk to my parents. And so she called my parents, and she got a hold of them, and she tells them, hey, we need you guys to come to school tomorrow with Eric. 
Now, I didn't know that that's what they say, but I can see my mom coming towards where we were as I was hanging out with my friends and celebrating and laughing. I can see my mom coming to me, and she looked like she was about to kill me. And she probably was, but thankfully the Lord held her hand, right? And as she was coming to me, she tells me, hey, uh, this party's over. We're going to ask your friends to go home. Uh, We need to go to the school tomorrow. What do you do that I need to know before we go there is what she says. So I didn't know what I was, I mean, disclaimer, I've done so many things I didn't know which one to point out. So I just just, uh, declared the fifth, so I didn't do do anything. I didn't say anything. So then the next day when we go to... When we go to the school, I remember seeing this. I remember walking into the office. You had the principal right here sitting on her desk. You had the supervisor uh, standing on the left of her, which is the lady that her and I did not get along at all. And then you had uh, uh, me sitting in front of them and my mom sitting next to me. My dad couldn't make it. And for the next 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes, the principal of the school went on to state all the things that I had done wrong and how all of these things granted for me to be expelled out of school. So basically, at the very end of those 25 minutes, she goes and looks at my mom and says, Eric is no longer allowed to continue in this school. You're going to have to look at new school for him. Now, keep in mind, this is early summer. Most of the schools, uh, and, uh, I don't know how you say in, inscriptions, I have already been closed. Just to find a place that would accept me would have been, it was impossible. Thankfully, the Lord provided a way, but it would have been impossible. Now, after she's saying all of those things, after she comes to that verdict, I look at my mom and I can see that she's getting rounded up. She's ready to say something. And in my head, I'm saying, I know Mama Gill has been built different. I know that she is, she's going to get up and she's going to let them have it. I know that she's going to get up and tell them what they need to do instead of telling me what to do. That's what I'm thinking. But yet my mom gets up. She looks at the principal and says to her, I am sorry. Thank you for your time. And then she turns around and looks at me and says, I'll see you at the house and walks away. She leaves me in the office. Now, two things with that. For the next 20 minutes, if it wasn't enough already, for the next 20 minutes I get to hear once again how terrible I am and what I need to do better. But worse than that, I had to walk home because my mom wasn't right there. So she left me in the school. I had to walk home for an entire hour. It was an hour-long walk. Thinking to myself, man, what have, what have I done? What, you know, what could I have done different, differently? Now, I look, at that, I look back on that experience in my life, but I look what Paul is saying here. And look what he says in verse uh, 33. He says, verse 33, he says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If it is God who justifies, who is to condemn, Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And I love this because here's what's going on. While you may have, while we may have Satan, they are not accusing us before the Father. Look how beautiful this is. You have God who is the one that declares the verdict. The verdict. He is the judge. And he is telling us that God is the one who's justified. And not only that, we're told that Jesus, the same very one that he did not spare to die on the cross for you, for me, for my mistakes, for your mistakes, is the one that is sitting on the right hand of him, who has the voice on his ear, who is able 
able to not only forgive us of our sin, but indeed, he says, is the one that intercedes. That while Satan is accusing us of things that are true, of things that we could have done or things that we have done in the past, none of that is going to stick before the Father because of his son, Jesus. Not on your merit, not on my merit, not on who I am or what I can do or what you can do or who you are, but simply because of who Jesus Christ is and what God did through him on the cross. So in the times like that where you feel like you're, you're struggling with sin, where there is that one sin that you cannot have victory over, that you pray and you pray and you pray and you don't see God answering that prayer and you find yourself over and over going back to the sin and you come to a point of overwhelming where you're just simply say, God, I don't really know if you're for me because if you were, why haven't you delivered me from this sin? If God, if you're really for me, then why do I continue to struggle? And you came to, you allow this stuff to get in your mind to the point where you can even believe that your sin, your struggle is so great that could separate us from the love of God. But the assurance that we have here is no matter what sin we commit, if you are a believer in Christ, none of that will stick before the Father. Not because of you, not because of me, but because of Jesus. Now there is a disclaimer This does not mean that now you and I have an opportunity to go out and do whatever we want because all of our sins are forgiven and because Jesus is going to intercede for us. In the same book, in the Rukas Roman chapter 6, Paul says this to them. He said, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Shall we continue to do the very wrong thing? No, he says, absolutely not. And then we know from other passages that we are called to live worthy, live in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and how three days later he rose from the dead, you and I have a responsibility now to live worthy of the gospel. And not only that, we're told too that we are to live, to live our life as a, sacri- as a living sacrifice, acceptable and holy to God. So the whole idea that Paul is trying to get across here is that if you sin, if you're struggling with a sin, don't allow yourself to come to a point where you question whether or not God is for you or whether God cares about you. Because once again, to answer that question is the great message of the gospel. That God, while you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. That while you and I deliberately choose to do wrong at times, Christ died for us. And it's our assurance that we know that we can move past it. Jesus, because of Jesus, we have been fully justified. He is currently interceding on our behalf before the Father, and no one can possibly condemn us. That's the assurance that we have. And then he continues on verse 35. In here, he's going to include those two, 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 those two questions, but then he's going to drive it home to, for us to finally understand, if we at this point haven't got it yet, what our blessed assurance is. So he says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who could possibly separate us from the love of Christ? Can hardship and suffering be so great that he has the potential to put us in a place where we are separated from God. That, 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 those few days that I was in the hospital, I felt like that. I felt not that, God, that God's love was separated from me, but I did question whether or God was for me. And I don't know what you have experienced this year, what kind of hardship, what kind of loss, what kind of struggles you've been dealing with. 
but can those things be so great that they can separate you from the love of Christ? And then he gave us a list. He says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore. So here are the seven things that he lists. When we look at this list, we could say, you know, if we didn't have the context of this passage, we could make the case that those things have the potential to separate us from God. If we are in trouble, then it could potentially mean that we put ourselves there so we're not honoring God, right? If we are facing sore, then we haven't lived our life right. And you could go on the list of these things and make the case that these things have the potential to separate us from God. But look what he says in, in addition to that. He says in verse 36, he says, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as cheap to be slaughtered. He is quoting Psalm 44. And in quoting this psalm was a psalm that, was, that David wrote to tell the nation of Israel, to remind the nation of Israel of the future suffering that they're going to experience. And Paul is trying to say, can all of these things, can all of this suffering, can all of this hardship really be so great that it can't separate us from the love of God? And look how he answers this in verse 37. No. Now, I feel like he was not just like a simple no. Like, I feel like when he wrote it, he was like getting it. He's like screaming, no. You know, like he meant it, no, no, right? Kind of when you, your kids misbehave and you want to tell them no, that you're, the, no, no, Right? None of those things can separate it from the love of God. And then he says, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who love us. Now, you may have memorized that verse. You may have known that verse. But don't let it dismiss the words that he uses here. That word conqueror may not mean as much today as it meant for us today as it meant for them. You got to keep in mind that these are people that he wrote, that some of them have been persecuted, that some of them were, have left their homes, which homes most likely had been conquered by the Roman Empire. And these were people that knew what it was to be a conqueror, someone so powerful as a conqueror, it was the epitome of power at the time. And what Paul is telling them, and like, even though those things may come to your way, even though those things will come your way, as he quotes uh, Psalms 44, he's saying none of them have the power to overcome you because you can have victory over these things. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That, that, that when Jesus was looking at his disciples and says to them, hey, in this world you're going to face tribulation, you're going to face troubles, but have peace, he says, I have overcome the world. That when we face hardship, that when we face suffering, that when we face these things, we can have the assurance that none of those things can separate us from God because we have victory over them, not on our own accord, not on who we are, not on what we have done, but because of the merit of Jesus Christ, because of his blood, because of what he did on the cross and that he rose from the dead three times, we can say confident today that we can have victory over those things. And to drive it even more home, he says, he is in verse 38, he says, for I am sure, or I am convinced, in other translations will say that, that neither dead, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor highs, nor dead, nor anything else in our creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Can hardship and suffering be so great that can separate us from the love of God? Paul is saying to them, he says, listen, even the extremes of nature, dead or life, the powers, whether it is demons, angels, government, whatever it is, 
The present things that your, your present circumstances or your future circumstances, the nature of uh, the, 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 the streams of, 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 of uh, space, height or dead, or even power, or even the influence of Satan. And to make it even more specific or even more inclusive, he says all, in, in any created thing can separate us from the love of Christ. Then in those moments when you feel the overwhelm and you're, uh, you're finding yourself struggling and thinking to yourself, you know, is God really for me? Does God really care? Does, is God really on my side? We are reminded of this, that if God is for us, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from his love. No opposition, no sin, no hardship, no struggle, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. As I was looking back on, that, on, my, on our experience at the hospital, I remember sitting, uh, we, were, we were sitting, I was sitting on one of those recliner chairs. It was like day two, the, or day two of us being in the, in the, in the, in the unit. And um, we're, we're sitting there, and at that point, all we could do, because we also had COVID, we were not allowed to leave the room. So we were confined. It felt like an imprisonment with like a very small window. It was crazy. And we're finding ourselves there, and all we could do was either be on our phones, scroll through Instagram, or, you know, uh, watch TV or whatever, right? And uh, at this point, it was later at night, and we are, we have, we are just tired. Uh, we, 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 we've been overwhelmed. We've been burned out because of all the things that were going on. And I remember that we just decided to play music, uh, some worship song. We got our Spotify and played some worship song. And in that moment, uh, I remember thinking, here's, how, here's the irony of it all. This, this during that week, I was supposed to teach in the high school. And uh, the message that I was thinking is, uh, that I was supposed to preach on was how to be thankful on the hard times. And I'm sitting there on my desk, on, on this chair, and I'm thinking about this, this, this message that I was supposed to teach. And I'm thinking to myself about God and how the reality that even though this may be overwhelming, even though that I don't know what's going to happen, and even though I genuinely was asking myself, God, why you are allowing this to happen to our baby, and I even questioned whether he was for us or not, I was reminded of his goodness, of his love for us. And ironically, this is how God works, you know, one of the songs that play out was the goodness of God. And I'm listening to this song and I'm just a complete mess because I'm reminded of the fact that it didn't matter whether I knew what was going to happen to her or not, I could have the blessed assurance that I knew that God is for us. That even though I may not understand or don't see a way out of this and I don't know what's going to happen to her, I could have the blessed assurance that if God is for me, Nothing can separate me of his love. This love of God is so instrumental that Paul in another letter writes to the Ephesians and he said this to them. In his letter, he's praying, to, he's sharing with them his prayer and he says to them in Ephesians 3, 17, 19, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the sin what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know that the love of Christ surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God. As we look at year 2022, my prayer is for you and me is that we will be filled with the fullness of God, 
that we will be reminded of the assurance that we have in our relationship with God. That it doesn't matter what uncertain things have come our way, which we know from the last two years that uncertain things are bound to happen, that we are not in control of what today is going to look like. We can, regardless of all that, we can have the blessed assurance that because God is for us, nothing can separate us from him. From him. Now, this is a message that is definitely tailored towards believers. If you have believed in the message of the gospel, this message is for you. If you're here today and you don't believe in the gospel, you have not come to a point where you have started a relationship with God, this message can also potentially apply to you. You know, in the book of Psalms, David tells uh, his reader, he say, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't know why you have, what you have been putting off and why you haven't believed in this message and you have gone this whole year without even starting or, or being willing to have a relationship with God. But why continue to wait? Why not start year 22 the right way? Where you can know for certain things that God's love for you surpasses anything. That God love for you was demonstrated in such an amazing way that, that it was demonstrated by him sending his son on your place. That even though you would choose to disobey him, that even though you would choose to ignore him, that even though you would choose to spit on him and, and ignore him and curse at him and do all these things, that while you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. And today you can have that opportunity where you can have a relationship with him. That if you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, you too shall be saved. And so here's what we're going to do. The van is going to pray or play a song. And I want you to be encouraged by the lyrics of the song. I get, or again, I don't know what you have experienced, what year 21 looked for you. But if it was a great year, then amen. But if it was not, if you, there were times that you struggled, that you have a hardship, let this song speak to you and remind you of the goodness of God. That he is for you. That if you are a believer in Christ, you can have the assurance that he is for you. And that nothing can separate you of his love.